My name is David Siegler, and welcome to my podcast. Hi, property sourcing profit team, Team PSP, property sourcing profiteers, anyone out there in property land sourcing deals for profit, this is the podcast for you. And uh, welcome, welcome to this, my uh, latest episode. And I've got plenty of issues that I want to talk through with you on this particular episode. And these are all issues that have been raised by friends in the deal packaging community, people sourcing deals for profit. In particular, people who are right at the start of their journey and people who have done my training in some cases, not in others, but mainly done my training and have gone out into the world and um, expected things to go a particular way. Maybe they didn't go quite as they expected. So I get feedback team. That's what I do. I get, David, you said this. David, how do you do that? David, this is the issues. Okay. So David's going to try and help. Um, Sometimes tough love is appropriate as well. Maybe at the beginning, our expectations are too high. Maybe we don't understand some of the fundamental concepts. Maybe we just need a guiding hand, you know, a gentle nudge in the right direction. Maybe we need a bit of a kick. Any of those things above, right? But I'm trying, uh, I'll try and share all this with you uh, with love. And uh, let's have a look at point number one that was raised with me this week in a phone call with one of our bill packaging friends. And uh, in fairness to him, it is a he. I'm not going to, I'm going to try not to name names in this episode, right? But maybe you can relate to the different circumstances that friends in the deal packaging community at the start of their journey have found. Um, and he is working in and around London, right? And you might think it's a tough gig, right? In and around London, because the um, numbers are so high, the entry level for an investor. But it depends on which investors you're working with, right? And a thread that's going to run through this whole episode is it's so important to get investors in place first, Okay. Now, a friend working in London has done that, is doing that, not got a deal yet, but very early days in his career. But he's definitely working with the right people. So let's just take a step back and talk about finding investors first, and then I'll drill down into the sort of investors he's found. So first of all, finding investors first. It's remarkable that we have these um, these conversations with people new to the industry, and this is pretty typical. This is what I hear, and I get it. I understand. I'm full of sympathy. David, I've never worked with investors. Uh, can you really find investors first? Are there really people out there with money who want to buy my deals? And I've gone through the process with so many people now. You know, so many friends in the deal packaging world, they've gone out looking for investors thinking even that they're not going to find investors. And in the early days, it's easy to find what they think is a deal. And I'm going to come back to that later in this episode. And it's not a deal. It's just a house for sale on right move, right? Um, you haven't got a deal until you've got investors. And what what really surprised me is how some friends get it and some friends don't right? And you've got to persist with it. Don't give up. The only way this won't work is if you give up. So you've got to go and find investors. And what happens is everyone works at their own speed. Everyone's got an, a finite amount of time, especially if you're working in full-time employment and doing this 
as your hobby, as your sideline, it's going to take you a bit longer, inevitably, right, than someone who's all in. But you will get to the point where you've got too many investors and what you're really short of is good quality deals to put their money into. And, um, you know, several conversations this week. Oh, I'm going to name names. I am going to name names. So these are people who've gone through the process um, and love you, squeeze you, all of you. You've gone through the process and you have said from your mouths have come to me, in effect, these words, you know, David, you, you never know how this business is going to turn. You never know who you're talking to. You never know the twists and turns ahead of you. But six months ago, nine months ago, 12 months ago, I didn't have any investors. I never thought anyone was going to invest in my deals. I never thought I'd earn any money at this. Then six, nine, 12 months later, what I'm hearing from you, and there's plenty of you, is, David, I've got too much money available. I've got too many investors. I've been approached on because they've been watching me online. I've been approached by people who I don't even know that are sending me proof of funds before they've even seen one of my prospective deals, right? And I've got cash. I've got cash and I can't spend it because I need to serve these people I need to do them really good deals, and that's that's great, by the way. We don't want to just send them anything that doesn't make them wealthy, right? You know, I've got a responsibility to these people spend their money wisely, and I can't spend it fast enough. So who am I talking about? I'm talking about my good friends. I said I wouldn't name names, but I'm going to name names. My good friend Sam Spencer, Miriam Jones, Karen Hodkinson, Katie Wilson have all said to me in the last... 10 days, right, on different occasions, I've got money to spend, I can't spend it fast enough, right? Certainly, you know, people like Tony Gargan, people like myself, in my own deal packaging business, I have a, uh, a great partnership with Progressive Let's Sourcing in an, uh, Peterborough, based in and around Peterborough, 30 minutes drive from Peterborough. We have investors waiting for deals, you know, and Investors will wait, but they won't wait forever. You know, you've got to find them a deal. So how do you get to the point where you've got the money and then you can go shopping for deals? Because it's much easier that way around, okay? Um, you just got to keep going. You just mustn't stop. You must keep at it. So let me drill down. Let me go to my friend in London who's really very new, really very new at this, and he's running around looking for specific deals because he's found a couple of people who might want to buy and they seem to be proper people with resources and he's run past me whether I think these people are real and um, how can you teach someone whether that you think investors are real or not because there's so many nuances involved so just the way that they speak to him right just the things that they've indicated they're looking to buy. So these people are not wanting to buy houses. They want to buy uh, properties where they can add value, where they can make a difference, right? So they want one of them wants uh, retail units, but with no buildings above. He wants single-story retail units, looking for development potential in and around London. He's given a very sensible budget for doing it, um, and our friend on the deal packaging team is running around meeting. Here's the other thing. He doesn't realize he's building a network of commercial agents, local agents, people in the property business locally, 
in the part of London where he works, the sort of property mafia who know what's going on in those postcodes that he's working and the value uh, that he's going to bring to his business later on by speaking to those people is just enormous, but he hasn't monetized it yet. And he said to me during the week, at what point do I ask for some money, right? Because I'm spending hours and hours and hours, he's into this full time, okay? I'm spending hours and hours and hours running around, talking to people, viewing things, looking at what might work, looking at, you know, something that doesn't, just, just doesn't quite work. What do I do to get a deal over the line and get paid? Well, you have to walk that walk. You've got to go through that process. But if he can get one deal over the line, and I've been there myself, I've done it myself. So you, you, find, you go and look at six, eight, ten properties, and they kind of, kind of meet the criteria, but not quite, kind of meet the numbers, but not really. And then you find one, you put it in front of your uh, investor, potential investor, who's already seen the other six, eight, ten things that you've shown him, right? And it's gone, uh, not so sure. Oh, don't like this one very much. Oh, this one's been on the market for months. You know, can't you find me something that's relatively new to the market that not everyone has seen already? You know, there's there's obviously a reason this hasn't sold. I can't buy this. And eventually you'll put something in front of him and he'll say, I'd like to go and have a look at this. This might work, right? And from that moment, you have a business out there because that deal will get done. Then you've got credibility with the agents and all the people on the supply side that you're running around talking to plus your um, property investor, developer, whatever he is, but certainly somebody with a lot of knowledge, will not just do the one deal, he'll do more than one deal, plus he's got a network himself, because that's how this stuff rolls, of people who he's working with, he'll joint venture with them, they'll do another deal and another deal and another deal. And that, those are the assets you need in the business. So that's in London, it works in London, it works the same everywhere else probably at a slightly different level. And yes, you've got to kiss a lot of frogs on the investor side before you find some of your princes, but they are there, right? So the only way you're going to fail in that circumstance is if you give up. Now, has he done a lot of uh, our friend in the deal packaging family? Has he done a lot of hard yards to get to this point? Yes, he has, but he's gone at it with energy and joy and humility right he hasn't pretended that he knows everything he's 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 told agents loud and clear that he's learning but he's working with people who do know that he's working with investors who are real and got funds and they want to buy and this is the type of thing that they want to buy right um if you do that you will succeed you will succeed and that is you know some of my journeys in that you know, back in the day when I first started out, that was kind of what I did. And I got to meet trade styly people. So the wholesale side of the business, whichever town you live in, wherever you're listening to this, there is in your area amongst the property community, a wholesale part of the business. So Rob and Mark, uh, Rob Moore and Mark Homer, in and around Peterborough, when they were buying houses years ago, six, seven, eight hundred houses, however many, um, they got to work on the wholesale wholesale side of the business, the stuff that didn't come to the market, right? Um, the stuff that nobody else saw. But you have to put the graft in. You've got to put the work in to get to that place. So if you get to that place 
it will happen. So let me move on, right? When do you start getting paid? You'll start getting paid if you keep digging hard enough and you start to find the gold. Now, if you're not in London, what is a deal? What are you looking for? So I've had a, a little bit of to and fro with two or three friends in our community this, this week who are not in London. They're based in the north of England, various parts of the north of England. And um, they keep telling me they've found deals. And I don't, I don't want to break their hearts, right? I'm not going to name any names this time around. But they're not actually deals. I mean, what is a deal? So a deal has to be something where we can add value and make it worth more than the building next door, right? A deal's got to be something that's going to make our investors wealthy. A deal has to be something that an investor will want to buy. It will get their juices flowing when you put it in front of them. And the, the, these sort of things, we use our education to increase deals. So here is what is not probably not a deal, right? Somebody might buy it, but, you know, it wouldn't be front and centre in my shop front for my customers. There are plenty of houses in the north of England that you can buy between 70 and 80 grand, and they might rent out at five five fifty a month. Okay, a gross yield of around seven seven to seven and a half percent, maybe eight percent. All right, um, that's okay. That's not going to hurt anyone. That's a pretty solid investment, but it's not exciting enough. It's not going to work, you know. And when you start getting into maybe flats, two bed flats in the north of England, uh, that's much more challenging. So it was actually one of my dear friends in the community, but he, and, and he's got heart and soul in the business, but he's new. Brought me a flat during the week, uh, open market value, 110 grand, his figure. Uh, but it's on the market for 93. Well, forgive me. It's on the market for 110, but he can secure it at 93. Below market value, right? And the rent is about £600 a month, whatever it was. So the yield's not great in the sevens, um, and I went and had a look on Rightmove, and I found a virtually identical flat within half a mile of, of you know, the, the particular flat that he was talking about. Remember, he told me it was worth 110, he's got it at 93, there's one on Rightmove, anyone can buy it at 95. And uh, when I said, at 95, at 93, it's not a deal because it appears to be worth 95, right? And how is that serving the investor? And how is that justifying our fee? And how, you know, we need to we need to do more than that. Um, I detected a certain frostiness <laughs> at the other end, you know. But sometimes the truth hurts. So, um, are we looking for the wrong things, friends in the north of England? You know, you've got the geography on your side because. Investors think they want cash flow. They do. I actually, having been doing this a few years now, I don't believe investors actually want cash flow, but I'll come back to that in a second. So they think they want cash flow. They think it's easier to get cash flow in the north. They think uh, the reason it's easier to get cash flow in the north is the cost of entry is lower, so there's lower deposits. So if they've got a finite set of funds, they might get four properties in the north. Uh, where they'd struggle to get one in the southeast of England. 
Uh, and then they get four tenants. So if one stops paying the rent, it's an inconvenience, not a disaster. But in the South, if they put all their money, all the investors' money into one property, and it's so important to get that rent in every month, and the one tenant, uh, the one tenant doesn't pay, then that's a problem. Okay, so they're looking for the North has great has great potential, um, but it's about cash flow. And what I don't see in parts of the North, I really don't, is capital growth. And cash flow is great because cash flow uh, will pay your bills. Can get as an investor, you know, it will pay your bills. It will. It'll uh, pay your mortgage on your house. It'll pay for your lifestyle. It'll replace probably your salary over a period of time. If you get five, six, seven houses with who, that are cash flowing, you might you might get to the point where it will uh, replace your salary. But that's all it's going to do. You know, if you buy five, six, seven houses in the south of England, over time it's going to make you wealthy because the growth in the south of England is where it's going to be. And you can't tell me that, oh, David, the, the south, you know, look, prices are going down in London. No, they're not. Well, let me qualify that. So definitely zone one, zone two, London prices are going down. Okay, but I know very well someone very close to me who is house hunting today in London where ordinary people live. And I say ordinary people, we're talking up to a million pound houses here, right? Uh, So zone three, zone four, zone five, where ordinary people live. I am telling you, hand on heart on the, what is it, the 2nd of July today, right? I am telling you... um, London prices are not going down. They're not, okay? So maybe where foreign investors were coming into London and buying trophy buildings, maybe that has softened, right? But around the M25, prices are not going down. And uh, with all the uncertainty and all the political hoo-hahs and tax changes and everything that's going on on the TV that I'm not even going to reference, will property prices dip? Possibly. At some point in the future, price properties will dip. But I, you know, as sure as the sun might rise tomorrow, you know, usually the sun rises in the morning, I'm in my fifth property cycle. I would predict that if property prices take a dip, and they will at some point during the 2020s, by 2030, prices will be higher than they are today. You know, shoot me down in flames if we get to... December the 31st, if I'm spared on the year 2030, (laughs) tell me prices haven't gone up. I'll I'll wait for your call, okay? But I'm telling you that I believe that. Uh, And I heard in 19, let's see, 1974, prices will never go that high again. They did. 1981, prices are ridiculous. Never go that high again. They're going to crash. They did crash, then they went higher, right? Uh, 1987, 1996 was the start of um, a huge run, you know, the birth of the buy-to-let mortgage, all the way through 2007. Then we had the big crash. And then 2012, 2013, 2015, right, massive rises in the southeast of London, the southeast of England in particular, although not so much in the north of England. But north is, is, you know, quite neatly coming along today. So what's the point, David? The point is you've got to add value for your investors, right? Don't bring me a £93,000 flat 
that you say is worth 110 that I can just go on right move and find the same flat for 95 without even, you know, doing anything. Certainly not paying your fee. So we use our education to add value. We don't look at flats, unless it's blocks of flats on one title. That's a different game, but I'm going to park that. Look at houses. Look at houses where you can add value. We use our education. So if we've got a house that's producing a 7% gross yield, if we buy the house and spend some money on it, can we get that gross yield up into the high teens? Can we do a multi-let there? Can we turn it into an HMO, a mini-mo, call it what you like, licensed, you know, buy the book, all that stuff. Can we use our knowledge of service accommodation to increase the gross yield into the mid-teens, the mid-teens, right? So 12, 13, 15%, whatever. Can we use our knowledge there? And the beauty of that is with service accommodation, the house is basically, I'm talking houses, not flats in the north of England, right? Definitely houses, but this isn't the episode. Deal with that. The beauty of that is that we can take a house, use it for service accommodation. It's basically a single let house. It's done to a much nicer quality, okay? The decor, we're giving it an uplift, a facelift. And just by doing that, we're adding value to the fabric of the house. So um, I used, I'll give you an example from my own portfolio. I had a property that had been let to the same couple on an AST for 10 years. They were both heavy smokers, right? And uh, they got a bit elderly. Uh, bless him, he passed away. And then she couldn't manage the stairs anymore and had to go into a home. I, very sad. They paid their rent on the button every month. Perfect tenants. Until I walked into the house. And it was brown and grubby and horrible. It was. Okay. So I hadn't spent a penny on it for 10 years. And they hadn't spent a penny on it for 10 years. So, you know, you, you, you're building a picture of what I saw. Okay. Thing about service accommodation, I thought I'd have a go at service accommodation because it was an unencumbered house. Okay. I had to spend about seven grand on that house. Now, when I spent the seven grand, it was probably the worst house in the street. Probably. Okay. And the worst house in that street, the value was about £60,000, right? And I spent seven. And by the time it was finished, it was the best house in the street. You know, same house structurally, but I spent seven grand tarting it up and I moved the open market value of that house from 60 grand to 90 grand, the best house in the street, right? So service accommodation served me well because I now no longer do service accommodation in that property. I went back to an AST for different reasons, uh, but I moved the rent as well. So whereas uh, the elderly couple for 10 years were paying £400 a month with no rent increase, haven't had a lot of rent increases in the north of England, um, when I re-let it on an AST in its new, shiny, crisp condition to a professional man with his family, different class of tenant, I got £700 a calendar month. So I've gone from £400 a month to £700 a month. I've gone 60 grand to 90 grand. So service accommodation, here's the point. Getting the house ready, just getting it ready before you do any SA, getting it ready to be an SA unit will increase the wealth of your investor because the small investment that goes into the property to, to put it at an SA level goes into the investor's pocket as well. So can we... HMO it, move the gross yield from 7% to 19 Can we SA it, move the gross re return from 7 to low teens, right? 
Can we put a tenant buyer in? Put a tenant buyer in, you're going to get multi-let returns on a single-let house. You don't have to pay for management anymore. You don't have to pay for repairs, maintenance anymore. 12 to 15%, you know, gross yield. And, you know, the net is almost a gross on a tenant buyer. But we have to be educated. It's quite a technical, quite a technical job to do that. So you need access to people who can help you with these things. You know, you can go out there and crash and burn, do it on your own. To some extent, when I did it, I crashed and burned, did it on my own. I only fixed it. In some cases, you know, I could only fix it to a certain extent. I couldn't even fix the whole thing. I only fixed it because I've got people around me who um, knew how to do this. So that's why, that's why I take such pride in the community of deal packages I'm building at Progressive Property. And uh, I said I wouldn't mention any names, but gosh, I'm going to mention some names. Oh, David, don't leave anybody out. Okay, if I've left you out, I haven't mentioned a name yet, but if I leave you out, because there's no notes here. <laughs> I'm just doing this off the top of my head. Okay, so forgive me if I miss you out. But people who know their stuff, uh, let's talk about moving to multi-lets. Take a single-let house, making it a multi-let. I wouldn't breathe unless I spoke to Claire Farrington first. She knows her stuff. 64 HMOs, care homes to HMOs. She's done it all. She knows it inside out. She's taught me stuff. I'm happy to learn from Claire. Motel Islam. Motel is the ultimate property professional. If you're going to convert a property to an HMO, talk to Motel, talk to Claire. Sam Spencer, building a deal packaging business from scratch. You can talk to the wonderful Sam Spencer. He knows how to increase yield for your investors in the north of England, right? He's not going to find you a flat for 93 grand that's on right move at 95. That ain't how he rolls. Rick Cusimano, you've got to work with Rick because he is one of those professional property investors and deal packages that I know. If you want to work rent to SA, if there are, we've got people packaging rent to rent for service accommodation. It's a very quick, fast way to get money in your pocket as a packager. Nick Vint, I would only go to Nick Vint. That's what he does. Uh, and he's in our deal packaging community at Progressive. Who else we can go to? Tenant buyers we spoke to. If you're going to use a tenant buyer template to increase your investor's yield, Yvette Mallinson, the queen of tenant buyers. I would go to Yvette if I was looking to uh, do something with tenant buyers today. Katie Wilson with your systemization plus, you know, investors keep giving her money. Find out why investors keep giving her money. It's absolutely key. Who else we got? I'm running out now. Oh. <gasps> Forgot Jesse Marsh. Jesse Marsh. Go, you know, anytime you can sit down for an hour with Jesse Marsh, uh, that is value right there. Uh, you know, and we're honored to have her as a mentor in our deal packaging community. At Progressive, who else have I been working with? Karen Hodkinson. If you are setting up your deal packaging business, if you want to set up from scratch, if you want to build a, a great foundation, if you want to uh, put together a business that's going to serve you and last forever so you know that you haven't got any weak links and clunky bits and squeaky bits that are going to catch you out later on. Sit down with Karen. She can sort you out. Um, and we've got some new young people who are, who are just doing exciting things. So I know they're going to be stars. Shout out to Miriam Jones, Laura Muse, anyone I've forgotten. But I'm so sorry. Message me. I don't know what I can do, but I've forgotten it. So... 
little bit of a summary, right? Two things I've dealt with on this podcast episode so far. Uh, the first is when you're starting, when you're running around, when you're not getting paid, how, how do you know when you're going to get paid, right? So get the right investors behind you, right? Don't go with tire kickers and time wasters. I can teach you how to do that. Build, build your network of people who can help you and, and you will get paid. It will happen. It is going to happen for you. Number two, you know, make sure you source a deal. It's got to be a deal. And if you've got your investors first, the way I teach everyone to do it, right, and you can do it because people have got the money now, right? The money comes, team, I'm telling you. But you've got to go and look for it. You've got to go and dig for it. Um, if you get the money there, go out and use your education, and I can help you with that, to add value for your investors by changing the strategy. Don't change your area. Don't change the property change the strategy. Very, very important. And the third thing, let's have a look. Yeah, I've got time for this. The third thing that's popped up over the last week or 10 days, more than once, right? So I want to deal with it, you know, face on here. David, I'm new. I'm outsourcing. In some cases, they've got an investor to source for. In other cases, they're just, you know, taking a guess at what's the deal. Okay. But that's not the point. The point is they're working with the state agents and, he, you know, if I find a deal, let's assume it is a deal. If I find a deal, David, how do I get it off the market? What do I say to the estate agent to get it off the market? Because what the estate agent's going to do, he's going to ask me for all the investors' details because I've told them, yeah, quite rightly, that I'm sourcing for investors, that we're looking for X, Y, Z, and, uh, you know, we found it and now I want to get the property secure and off the market so I can offer it to my investors, or maybe I've already got an investor. Good boy, good girl. You've got an investor up front, uh, and we've got to get it off the market. So if you've got an investor, this is very easy, because the investor will give their details, their proof of funds, their solicitor's details. Job done. Let's chase through the legal process so we can get paid. The, 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 the roadblock comes if you haven't got an investor, but you want to get it off the market. Here's my question. Why in those circumstances? Would you want to get it off the market? Well, maybe you're working with other people who've got investors. Maybe you think their investors will buy it, uh, but you don't know who those investors are, so you can't give those investors details to the estate agent because you don't know who they are, and you haven't got their details. So how do you work with it? Um, here's the truth, guys. Truth time, okay? It depends. Depends on your relationship with the estate agent. Uh, if you have built a great relationship with that estate agent, some will help you. Some will give you seven days to run with it. Some might give you, you know, 10 days, which is 10 working days, two weeks, right? Uh, but some won't. Some will say, no, 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 this is our process in the office here. These are the forms I need filled in. If you can't fill the forms in, uh, you're not getting it. You're going to have to live with that. There will be some agents that you cannot work with, right? Fortunately, in my experience, there are just as many agents as you can uh, that you will be able to work with. And here's the really weird thing. You can talk to one member of staff in the estate agent who will say, no, 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 we can't do it. And then if you speak to a different member of the same team, they will do it. Why does that happen? Because they believe in you. Because they think that you're real. They think you can produce the result. 
They're there to sell houses after all, and there may be something going on in the office, administratively, or even in the vendor situation, which means they're happy to let you run with it for a week or two before they formally put it on the market. So um, you've got to suss that out. Now, when you sit in front of an estate agent that says, no, no, we can't do it, we need all the details first, don't come and shout at me. <laughs> I've, it's happened to me, right? I've had that in my life. Uh, it might be, be becoming a little more common these days. Because I think there's a lot of poor sources out there who have gone and upset the uh, estate agents by... Um, abusing their trust and what they've done is they've taken properties they've, they've told them to take it off the market they've messed about for six weeks and then the property's gone back to the market that's not nice right from the estate agent's point of view i kind of understand why they would be loath to go through that again so you've got to come across as credible right it's a you've got to be confident you've got to be realistic you've got to talk the talk you've got to know exactly what your strategy is you've got to know what your um destination for the property is you know who you're going to place it with okay and uh, that stuff's very important and it's only that one-to-one -one relationship that will allow you to move forward so that's the truth of it um here's a summary of what i've tried to share with you in this half hour or so a little bit over now um, so that you you move forward. These are bottlenecks that I've seen friends hit. Um, and just in, in three sentences, here's what the summary of this episode is. Okay, number one, I'm doing lots of work for people that may or may not be investors, David. When do I get paid, right? Choose wisely. Make sure you work for the right people. Listen to what they say. If they've got experience, if you think they're real, if they're nice to you, if they say to you something like, look, you brought me this, we need to tweak it a bit, we need a little bit more, as opposed to saying to you, oh, no, that's rubbish, I don't need anything like that, you know, go and find something else, right? You're not a member of staff, right? You're running your own business. If you can build a relationship with those people, keep running, it will work, you will get something over the line. Even if you don't, you're going to learn so much, okay? Number two. When is a deal a deal? A deal has to add value. A deal, you've got to increase the numbers. You've got to make your investor wealthy. It doesn't matter if it's in the South or in the North. We use our education to make sure that we make our investors wealthy. Make sure you make your investors wealthy and you're going to go do, uh, you're going to do a lot of deals. You're going to sell them all. And number three, the estate agent won't take it off the market. It's about the relationship that you have with the estate agent. If they don't like the look of you, if they don't trust you, if they don't think you can produce the goods, they won't take the property off the market. If they decide one time to give you a chance, grab it. Grab it with open arms. But if you can see that actually it's beyond you to place that property, you will save the relationship with the estate agent by telling them like sooner rather than later. Okay? I hope that's been helpful. Um, I've tried to move you forward. These are real, real-time issues and problems that have been raised with me by people in our community. Get yourself sorted out. Get out there. Do loads of viewing. Sell all the deals. I'll see you next time. going to be great. Thank you for listening. 
I am David Siegler. See you on the next episode.